Hey, good morning, guys. Welcome to the show. There we go. All right. I um almost made it in time. I <laughs> I took my kid to school this morning and we pulled we pulled in the parking lot and I turned the car off and started to get out to get him and realized oh we forgot his backpack and his snack and everything else we were supposed to bring to school. Basically the only thing I remembered to take to school today was the kid. So immediately jumped back in the car, started up, drove back home, got all the stuff, went back to school and dropped him off. And I just sat down in this chair, click, 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 trying to set everything up. So that's been my morning. And, um, <laughs> welcome to the show. <laughs> Here we are as just human number 135. Thank you all for being here. If you like the show, please give it a thumbs up over on rumble. Give it a red pill over on Foxhole. Um, if you want to do more than that, you can go to justhuman.substack.com and subscribe. Uh, get a paid subscription if you want to, but also you can just do a free one. Everything on there is free, including the podcast version of this show. After this show is over, like I do, I've been doing with the other shows, I'll, um, I'll, I'll rip the audio from it and I'll upload it to my Substack. And you can either use the Substack app to, um, to play the episode back, or there's a way where you can set it up. Yeah, I think you have to be on PC to to do it. You can't do it from within the app, but you can set the you can set Substack up to feed the audio version to whatever podcast player you prefer. Um, I've done it successfully with Apple Podcasts. I've done it with um, other other ones, just trying it out to make sure it works, and it does. So, if you like an audio version, go there. If you're listening to the audio version and you're like, "Where is the video of this?" Find my link tree. Go to Rumble, DLive, Foxhole, Twitch. We're all we're in all those places. Uh, BT Mama, no, the lights aren't blinding me, but I am just waking up. I feel like I don't feel like I'm fully awake yet. This coffee's probably gonna kick in here in about 10, 15 minutes, and I'll start speaking about I don't know, 0.25 to 0.5 times faster. So all of you who watch the show who like to speed me up uh, because I talk too slow. I'll, I'll help you out a little bit. <laughs> it's funny. It's it's kind of fun. I when I listen back to myself and hear myself talk, I get annoyed by how slow I speak. Um, but I'm I'm just being me. <laughs> I don't think about it while I'm doing it. Okay, we've got a lot. A lot of Danchenko and Mar-a-Lago raid news, and I was I was mentioning it to my Telegram chat last night that you know my show is kind of turned into the Mar-a-Lago news and Danchenko news show. Um, every week there's something going on, or multiple times a week there's news being dropped about it. And I told my Telegram chat I was like, I'm sorry, my show is turned into. Kind of like law tube without any lawyers, because I'm not a lawyer, and I'm still I'm trying to figure this stuff out just like y'all are. Uh, but I told him that 
I feel like this is the most important thing going on right now. Besides, besides trying to turn people out to vote and yeah, I mean, besides turning people out to vote and there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of important stuff going on, but it's, I feel like the Dan, the Durham and Danchenko news and then the Mar-a-Lago rate, I feel like Durham and Danchenko deserve a lot more attention than what they're getting. And when, and as these filings have been picking up lately, like I said they would, and like we all knew that they would because we're getting closer and closer to the trial date. I feel like it's not getting near the attention that it deserves how powerful and how impactful this trial is going to be. I don't think people have really grasped how important it is. So I really want to give it as much attention as possible. And with the Mar-a-Lago raid stuff, it is getting a lot of attention, but it's a whole bunch of fake news. There's so much fake news associated with the Mar-a-Lago raid, and it's not just on the MSM. Conservative Incorporated outlets are doing clickbait on it. And they're totally going with their usual take that the walls are closing in on Trump without actually saying that. And I feel like there needs to be somebody going out there trying to cut through all their BS. And that's what I'm trying to do. Um, I've been really disappointed recently. Well, I guess disappointed isn't the word because I wasn't really expecting any better. But I've kind of been like, uh, I've just seen a lot of bad takes. I've just seen a lot of bad takes about the Mar-a-Lago raid and about filings in the case. So, you know, we've I've really focused in on these two subject matters. I was looking through, you know, so many of my shows in the past month have just been about stuff or primarily about stuff related to Danchenko and the Mar-a-Lago raid. But I feel like it's super important, and I also feel like they're connected. I feel like my sense is that this Mar-a-Lago raid is so much bigger than what we are realizing. And not because it's going to lead to Trump's indictment, but because I think it's going to lead to the indictment of some players that we've really been wanting to be indicted. And everybody is missing that. Every, like not everybody I shouldn't say everybody so I really think you can't overstate the significance of it and there's so anyway I just feel really compelled to cover this stuff um when I see other things I'm gonna cut I want to cover I've been setting some stuff aside that I may hit on but this this stuff has just been there's been so much stuff so and with the trial coming up in October I'm probably gonna be covering Danchenko almost every single show. Now today, there's so much news related to Danchenko and Mar-a-Lago. I'm gonna, I can't, I'm not gonna read word for word every filing. There's, I don't have enough time for that. Um, and probably you don't either. I'm gonna try and get through as much of it as I can and make the points I really wanna make. I wanna skip through some of the filings and hit on some key key revelations. And if I can, if we have enough left over, I might do a bonus hour on my podcast. I mean, on my Substack. I can't promise that right now, 
It just depends on where we're at, but I'm looking at how much stuff we have and I'm either going to record a bonus hour and toss it up on my Substack um, later tonight, or I'll roll this stuff over onto Friday's show. But I'm kind of hesitant to do that because it seems like every time I try and carry something over to Friday's show, uh, we get more news in between Wednesday and Friday and I don't have room for it then either. So, all right, before I get to the first bit and dig into this, I want to tell everybody I'm going to be on um, Diddy and Johnny's show tomorrow on a panel with Patriot AU and Chad Vargas. And actually, let I should have uh, I should have been more pro about this and already pulled up the uh, the link for it. Hold on. Let me grab. I'll be share. I'll be sharing a link for it on um, Chad Vivas, not Vargas Vivas. Let me uh, get right here, and this is what it is: the EQ Chamber, and this is going to be tomorrow night, eight p.m. Eastern, and Diddy and Johnny, Patriot AU, Chad Vivas. Uh, Chad Vivas is also Cag Drogo. So the dude who does all the awesome art and has been doing awesome digging on uh, election related stuff. I'm looking forward to being on this show and talking with these guys. I've never, I've chatted with them uh, either on true social or on telegram, um, but I've never been on their show and I've never been able to like speak back and forth. With them. So I'm really looking forward to this. It's going to be fun. And uh, they do a good show over on Foxhole and on rumble. So Look for that tomorrow evening. And I'll be share I'll be share I'll be posting the links to it again on all of my socials so that y'all will have these links. Okay. Let us proceed. Let's go to Danchenko stuff first. And we had, we are still waiting on the judge to rule on the motion to dismiss. We haven't, we haven't gotten that. Um, I, I don't think it will be dismissed, but I would still like to see the judge respond to it and see what he says. I'm pretty sure it is possible that the judge could say, eh, I'm going to dismiss one or two charges because you, you've charged him for all of these lies. And a, one of the, one of the lies or a couple of them seem related to the same lie, which has to do with Sergey million. So it is possible. I was thinking on it. It is possible. The judge may respond and actually dismiss one or two charges. He will not dismiss the whole case, but I kind of, I kind of doubt that. I think what he would rather do is just let a jury decide whether or not Dinchenko should be charged with each count of each one, each 1,001 count of lying to the FBI probably won't happen, but I kind of thought, eh, there is that possibility. So I better mention it still waiting for him to respond. And I'm kind of surprised he hasn't responded by now, but whatever. We had a motion to unseal that was agreed upon between Igor Danchenko and Durham. 
that motion is to unseal the motions in limine that we talked about um, previously, I think last week it would have been, um, where the, they filed motions in limine, which are limiting motions pre-trial, which try and keep evidence out of the trial. And it's it's stuff that you that Durham and uh, the either side can file it, I believe. But Durham is basically saying, look, I don't want this stuff that I'm putting some of this evidence that I have turned over um, to for discovering in the process of this trial as we're going through these, these pre-trial phases. This is evidence I don't want to be referred to at trial and I don't want to be admitted at trial. So it's stuff he wants to keep out of the trial against Igor Danchenko. And the great things about motions in limine is that they can be unsealed like this and they can reveal a lot more to us about what is going on and what some of the evidence in the case is. So they agreed to unseal these. And that resulted in this order. The judge ordered it to be unsealed. It's docket entry number 78 right here. So you scroll over here to docket 78 right there. And you get 45 pages. A lot. I'm going to read some of it. I'm not going to read it all. Let me uh, change the size it is on screen. And there we go. That'll be better right there. Now, this these go to Rule 404B. And if you call from Sussman case, Rule 404, Rule 4 or <laughs> Rule... Okay, let me take in some more coffee. Okay, Rule 404... B is character evidence, other crimes, wrongs, or acts. So that is what they're referencing right here with this. All right, Durham writes, the United States of America by and through its attorney, special counsel John H. Durham respectfully moves in limine, meaning limited motion, for the admission and exclusion of certain evidence at trial, specifically the government moves to admit certain acts and statements as direct evidence or alternatively pursuant to federal rule of evidence 404B, admit emails referenced in the indictment and other similar emails, admit evidence regarding the FBI's prior counterintelligence investigation of the defendant, and exclude evidence and preclude argument concerning allegations of political bias underpinning the indictment. For reasons stated below, the government submits that the motion should be granted. The government notes that all of the information set forth below is unclassified and has been provided to the defense in pretrial discovery. Further, much of the information contained in this motion has previously been disclosed in the public record. Much, not all of it. This motion is being filed under seal, however, to afford defense counsel the opportunity to advise the court whether any of its contents should appropriately be sealed at this time. And it was sealed, but now it has been unsealed. Factual background, the defendant is charged with five count indictment. We're aware of this. They're all, they're all 1,001 charges for lying. As set forth in, the, forth in the indictment, the FBI opened an investigation known as Crossfire Hurricane. And 
the MSM reports that Crossfire Hurricane is all about getting Donald Trump and the conservative and corporate media reports that Crossfire Hurricane is all about getting Donald Trump. And if you've been watching my show for a while, you're probably aware that it was never about getting Donald Trump. It was always about the witch hunt for the actual witch, Hillary Rodham Rodham Clinton and all of her conspirators who plotted to frame Donald Trump. All right, now it goes through and restates some of the stuff about the indictment. We're aware of that. We've been following it. We don't need to focus on that. But I do want to point something out here. The Steele reports played an important role in applications the FBI personnel prepared and submitted to obtain warrants pursuant to the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, FISA, targeting Carter Page. Remember that what Danchenko did here was used in FISA courts for the, to justify the targeting of Carter Page. And I don't want to change subjects, and I don't think I am changing subjects when I jump over to the Mar-a-Lago raid and get to this filing, which we're going to talk about later, Judge Dreary. There's been a lot of reporting lately about the Honorable Raymond J. Deary. And Raymond Day Jiri, or Deary, excuse me, served on the FISA court and approved the fourth FISA spy warrant on Carter Page. And I want to make this point. If, if the documents seized at Mar-a-Lago that are marked classified have to do with Crossfire Hurricane, like many of us think they do, the Honorable Raymond J. Deary has a conflict of interest, I would think. Tossing that out there. We'll, we'll get back to that filing here in a little bit because there was some fake news reported on it. Okay. Over a fairly lengthy period of time, the FBI attempted to investigate, vet, and analyze the Steele reports, but ultimately was not able to confirm or corroborate most of their substantive allegations. In the context of these efforts, the FBI learned that Christopher Steele relied primarily on a U.S.-based Russian national, Igor Danchenko, to collect information that ultimately formed the core allegations found in the Steele report. In the con wait, From January 2017 through October 2020, as part of its efforts to determine the truth or falsity of specific information in the Steele reports, the FBI conducted multiple interviews of the defendant regarding, among other things, the information that he had provided to Steele. In March 2017, the FBI signed the defendant up as a paid, confidential human source of the FBI. The FBI terminated its source relationship with the defendant in October 2020, as alleged in further detail below. The defendant lied to FBI agents during several of these interviews. Okay, remember that we covered from the indictment that Danchenko was being recorded in some of these interviews without his knowledge. 
And we had wondered about that. And I had said it pointed to, I thought, parallel investigations going on. And we have many other signs of parallel investigations going on. I think that's one of them. I think the FBI knew that their source was being dishonest with them. And they were recording him because he was under investigation at that time, even though he was still a paid informant. Or they were at least, I think they, they were either, he either was in the scope of an investigation while he was a paid informant. Um, something. There's something parallel going on there, in my, in my opinion. Now, I'm going to jump out of this filing. I want to show you some things. This news, of course, y'all saw it going around, how huge it is. This bomb that Igor Danchenko was a paid informant. Brian Cates called this. My friend Brian Cates absolutely called this, and he had messaged me. He's posted it before, and he had also mentioned to me in, in a in private message um, weeks ago that we're going to find out, um, basically on the lines of we're going to find out how Danchenko managed to get back into the U.S. And this helps explain it. And I want to grab, let's see, I have that. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Let's let's back up and yeah, before actually I'm gonna go right here to Brian. Let's go right here to Brian first. There are two big revelations that I expected to come out during the Danchenko trial. One, that he is a former Russian intelligence officer now living in the US who supplied most of the fake Trump Rush allegations that make up the Steele dossier. And two, he knew it was safe to return to the U.S. because he was working with people trying to dirty up Trump with fake collusion allegations that then morphed into trying to sabotage and hamstring the Trump presidency. They went from allowing him to return to outright hiring him as a CHS, confidential human source, and keeping him on their payroll for more than three years as the entire Spygate scandal unfolded from January 2017 with the publication of the Steele dossier by BuzzFeed. But uh, until just before the 2020 election, when they let Danchenko go that October. Well, surprise, Durham didn't wait for the trial to actually start the start before dropping his first bombshell. The entire time the media was in a frenzy over Russiagate. The entire time the Mueller special counsel was active. The entire time General Flynn and others were being targeted for investigations and prosecutions based on fake allegations or no evidence whatsoever. The FBI crossfire hurricane team Mueller special counsel had old Igor tucked away safely for safekeeping. The whole time people were running around trying to make sense of the dossier where its fake allegations came from, who the primary source was, the source was being paid to hide and keep his mouth shut. Boy, I bet nobody was more surprised than Igor when he suddenly got indicted by special counsel John Durham after getting this special treatment from the FBI and the Mueller SCO for more than three years. It sucks to be you, Igor. Devin Nunes will be able to freely talk once Durham's revealed more of this evidence. Nunes always said when people find out what really happened with Spygate, it would blow their minds. Especially after the fake news spent more than five years trying to program everybody 
about who it was in the 2016 election that was working with Russian intelligence. They insisted there was good, credible evidence that showed Donald Trump and his associates were Putin-affiliated, working with the Russians, but that was never true. In fact, it was Hillary Clinton campaign that was paying an actual Russian national, a former, note I always put former in quotes, Russian intelligence officer to create most of the Steele dossier accusing Trump and his team of being Russian agents. Five years they managed to keep a lid on this, that Hillary paid an actual Russian spy to help create a dossier accusing her campaign rival of being a Russian agent. Durham's about to take the lid off the evidence in the courtroom, and I going to enjoy watching it. I want to back you up just a bit on Danchenko because yeah, I need, is it this one and this one? I think, I think yes, this article from CBS, Catherine Harridge back on September 24th, 2020. Let's back up and learn a little bit about Danchenko that a lot of people never knew or forgot. The primary subsource for the Steele dossier was the subject of an earlier counterintelligence investigation by the FBI, and those facts were known to the Crossfire Hurricane team as early as December 2016. That would be before they paid him, by the way. According to newly released records from the Justice Department that were first reported by CBS News, the timing matters because the dossier was first used two months earlier in October 2016 to help secure a surveillance warrant for former Trump campaign aide Carter Page, and then used in three subsequent renewals of, of that surveillance warrant. Quote, between May 2009 and March 2011, the FBI maintained an investigation into the individual who would later be identified as Christopher Steele's primary subsource. The two-page FBI memo states, quote, the FBI commenced this investigation based on information by the FBI indicating that the primary subsource may be a threat to national security. The memo, which is a summary of the FBI counterintelligence investigation, continues, quote, in December 2016, the Crossfire Hurricane team identified the primary subsource used by Christopher Steele and at that time became familiar with the 2009 investigation. The Republican chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Lindsey Graham, who released the FBI records, said in a statement, quote, to me, failure of the FBI to inform the court that the primary subsource was suspected of being a Russian agent is a breach of every duty owed by law enforcement to the judicial system. According to the memo, the FBI opened a preliminary investigation in 2009 after receiving information that a, quote, research fellow for an influential foreign policy advisor for the Obama administration was approached by the individual later identified as the dossier subsource, who allegedly inquired about their future, quote, access to classified information and if they wanted to make a little extra money. The memo states that the research fellow and co-worker questioned the possibility the individual might be a Russian spy. The preliminary case was converted to a full investigation after a review of FBI databases revealed the individual had contact in 2005 and 2006 
with the Russian embassy and known Russian intelligence officers. In 2010, the individual left the U.S. and the FBI withdrew a surveillance warrant application to the FISA court and closed its investigation. Significantly, the investigative team stated that consideration would be given to reopening the investigation in the event that the primary subsource returned to the United States. The dossier's primary source or subsource did return to the U.S. and was interviewed over a three-day period at the FBI's Washington field office in January 2017, where he described some dossier allegations as rumor and speculation, and in other cases did not recognize the claims. This would be about the time they signed him up as a paid confidential human source, guys. Okay? The FBI recorded these interviews over a three-day period, and then they signed him up as a paid informant. The two-page memo states the case was not reopened, and there is no indication the FISA court was ever told that the dossier source was the subject of an earlier FBI probe. So, Igor Danchenko was trying to solicit someone within the Obama administration to feed him classified information for money. Likely he was working as a Russian asset or Russian spy. And he was also working at the Brookings Institution at the time. He fell under investigation for that from 2009-2010, and he left the country for a few years. Okay? But he came back. He came back. And let me make sure I have it. I don't, I don't remember if I've opened it yet or not. Here, let me open it up. Igor came back, and for some reason, this case doesn't get all that much attention, although I have seen it mentioned. Occasionally. Igor Danchenko was back in the U.S. in 2013, just three years later, where he caught a few charges in Maryland for disorderly conduct, for being drunk in public, and for not having his two-year-old secured in a child safety seat in his vehicle. So I'm bringing that up because I want to point out to you that Igor Danchenko was not gone from the U.S. from 2010 all the way until 2016. He was back in the U.S. in 2013. And the FBI still did not reopen their investigation into him then. And I'm wondering if we're going to find out that the reason he felt it was safe to whatever assurance he was given that it was okay to return to the U.S., those assurances were made between 2010 and 2013, not between 2010 and 2016, right? I think a lot of people are under the impression that he was gone from 2010 until 2016, but he wasn't. He was only gone th three years or less than three years. So somewhere in that 
three-year time frame of 2010-2013, he was either given assurances or he was never aware he was under investigation. Um, and then when he did return, nobody picked up an investigation into him then. So there's more there. There's there's more there. And um, yeah. Okay. There's this article came out August 4th, 2020, mentioning that he about his drunkenness. And it also reports that he was known to have a drinking problem. Let's see right here. Recently declassified information reporting to my, my colleague, Real Criminal Investigations, or confirms the identity. The FBI memo recounting the agency's meeting with Danchenko confirms that the Steele dossier was sourced with little more than Danchenko gossiping with childhood friends back in Russia, not exactly high-level sources in the know. Some of Danchenko's most prominent allegations, such as the dossier's claim that Trump lawyer Michael Cohen visited Prague to meet Russian intel operatives, have been subsequently disproven. Danchenko was also the source of the dossier's most, in most infamous allegation. Russian security services possessed a tape of Trump being urinated on by Russian prostitutes. Steele said this allegation was confirmed, quote-unquote, by a senior employee at the hotel. But it's rumor and speculation, um, and it's totally BS. Danchenko further told the FBI he didn't know or recall information Steele attributed to him, said that Steele mischaracterized Danchenko's sources and said they had direct access to information when they did not. The FBI also confirms that much of Danchenko's supposed intel gathering occurred while drinking heavily with his friends back in Russia. In fact, in 2013, Danchenko was arrested in Maryland and charged with being drunk in public, disorderly conduct, and failure to have his two-year-old child in the safety seat. The FBI knew Danchenko's heavy drinking was a factor in his intelligence gathering, but it didn't appear to have given the Bureau any second thoughts about its credibility. Well, that's the appearance. That's the appearance for sure. Now I want to show y'all a few things, and I want to reiterate, I have a lot of respect for Spygate researchers. Um, I really appreciate what they do, and they've educated me quite a bit on Spygate, and I'm still getting an education on it. I want to show you some of their takes, though, when this news broke about Danchenko being a paid informant. Bull Nelson, who is a very good researcher, said Danchenko was at, still an active CHS after the Horowitz report. How is that real? Climate audit, Stephen McIntyre, said trying Danchenko for, most for mostly irrelevant lies is a look-squirrel distraction from the much more sinister lies by FBI. Barr promised that Durham would investigate FBI handling of Danchenko's revelations about Fantasy Steel Network but thus far, Durham has done the opposite. March 2017 FBI briefing the DOJ, they said, quote, the FBI has no control over the Russian-based subsource. This is the same month they started paying Danchenko as a CHS. Technofog has a good substack on this, but he even says, the purpose should be quite clear. 
the FBI buries Danchenko from inquiry by making him a CHS. In doing so, the FBI prevents discovery of its own misconduct. Utterly corrupt and self-serving. Boya fan, I don't know what value Danchenko had as an FBI CHS in 2017, but it could not be a millionth of the damage done to the country and the Bureau of hiding the basically fraudulent nature of the dossiers for the political purpose of kneecapping an entire presidential administration. These are the takes that Conservative Incorporated is pushing. These are the narratives they're pushing. These are the takes of brilliant Spygate researchers who have done tons of work on Spygate. And they, are, they have been upset with Durham since, I don't know, for months now, they've been upset with Durham. Because what these guys are focused on is FBI bad. That's that's their whole their whole focus is FBI bad. Um, it's consumed them. And what they're failing to understand because they're too busy reacting to this news is that Durham just revealed and pointed to the FBI being complicit in its handling of Danchenko. He's actually doing what they want him to do. He's beginning to tell the story of Danchenko and the FBI being linked together in this way. He just revealed to them what they've been wanting him to do. But they're too busy reacting to the news to understand that Durham is pointing towards the FBI being involved in this. Remember in the Sussman case how there were some FBI agents who testified and we learned that they were currently under investigation by either Durham or by the um, Inspector General? What do you want to bet in this case we have the same thing happen? What do you want to bet in this case during the Danchenko trial we have some FBI agents get up and it turns out they're also under investigation by the IG, the SCO, or both. Stu Gibson in Twitch chat is right. This is the biggest news of his investigation. All the fake news that Durham is a cover-up can be canned. If Durham was a cover-up, why did Durham reveal this, guys? If Durham was a cover-up, why did Durham reveal that Danchenko was a paid informant from March 2017 to October 2020? Now, something else that everybody is missing about this news because they're too busy reacting to it. All these people getting upset are missing and not thinking about what the enemy 
and the other coup plotters must be thinking right now. Because everybody who had any contact with Igor Danchenko between March 2017 and October 2020 is thinking, oh God, I was in contact with a paid informant for the FBI who has been indicted by John H. Durham. Every person who came within Danchenko's orbit between March 2017 and October 2020, and who even thought about doing anything criminal, has now been made aware that Don Dur- Don- John Durham knows that. Lost in all the reacting yesterday was the revelation that Igor Danchenko may have informed the FBI and by as consequence, by consequence, informed John Durham of what they were engaged in. Now, I understand the take from Technofog and others that, oh, the FBI paid him to be an informant so they could hide him away. Okay. But I'll be very interested to see how he functioned as an informant during that time period. Because it could be... It could be that the reason... Danchenko has only been charged with a handful of 1001 charges for lying to the FBI about certain things is because Danchenko gave over information and informed on everybody else that he knew in this conspiracy. Everybody else that he was in the orbit of during March 2017 to October 2020 what if what if Danchenko decided to inform on all of those people? If that's the case, then it makes a lot of sense that Danchenko is only being charged for these instances of lying to the FBI about this phone call and, and whatever. Right? Makes a lot more sense. Guys, this is why. I have this expression I put out there that understanding is greater than reacting. Because when we would just react to the news, we miss the significance of it. All of these brilliant researchers who, who honestly, guys, these researchers know more about Spygate than I do. They've been following it more closely than I have over these past years. They have a depth of knowledge that I don't have in regards to all of this. But they're so emotionally invested in their own theories and in what they want to get out of Durham that when news like this breaks, they can't see it.
And I'm over here like, Shh. heck yeah. FISA works both ways. Danchenko, everybody who was in contact with Danchenko is now, I mean, the, the, all of the, the pucker factor for everybody who had a phone call or email between with Danchenko between March 2017 and October 2020 is they could make diamonds with their butts right now. Like, like <laughs> this is awesome. And the lie that the FBI, the Durham's going to cover up for the FBI. Oh God. You're never, you're never going to sell me on that BS. You're never going to sell me on that BS. If Dur if Durham wanted to cover for the FBI, he would have written a report a year ago. So that is the that is the major major news that came out of this. Now it is forty eight page. It's forty five pages, and I'm you remember how Durham in the in the uh, the Sussman case was telling story was telling the story of he was using the Sussman filings to tell the story of the conspiracy of that as the, that aspect of the conspiracy against against Trump. Um that's what he's doing with this one. He's using these filings to tell the story. I mean, remember how uh Judge Cooper admonished Durham for uh for writing these big long filings in the Sussman case and he was like you can trim this down, you don't need to you don't need to write all of this and tell go write these giant filings. I wonder if Judge Trenga is about to say the same. Okay. I want to um I may try trying to decide. Um Trying to decide if how much I want to dig into this. I think I want to. That's the biggest thing out of it. I think I want to move on, and then I want to study this on my own. And if I if I find more things I want to pull out of it, then I will pull it out. But I don't want to read this whole filing to y'all this morning. Okay. So that's the big news out of out of the Denchenko trial. Now we have another bit of Durham news that dropped this morning. And that news is from the New York Times. Durham inquiry appears to wind down as grand jury expires. The special counsel appointed by the Trump administration to examine the Russia investigation seems to be wrapping up its work with no further charges in store. Oh, really, New York Times? Really? You sure about that? When John H. Durham was assigned by the Justice Department in 2019... To examine the origins of the investigation into the 2016 campaign's ties 
to Russia, President Donald J. Trump and his supporters expressed a belief that the inquiry would prove that a deep state conspiracy included top Obama-era officials had worked to sabotage him. Now, Durham appears to be winding down his three-year inquiry without anything close to the results Mr. Trump was seeking. The grand jury that Mr. Durham has recently used to hear evidence has expired. And while he could convene another, there are currently no plans to do so, three people familiar with the matter said. Right. Mr. Durham and his team are working to complete a final report by the end of the year, they said, and one of the lead prosecutors on his team is leaving for a job with a prominent law firm. Over the course of his inquiry, uh, well, let me, let me just pause right there. How many times has the New York Times told us that Durham was winding down? How many times have they told us that Durham wouldn't be funded or that there were questions over whether or not Garland would fund Durham and his office? And how many times have they told us that Durham is about to wrap up? He's going to issue a report next month. All based on people familiar with the matter or anonymous sources said or People who spoke on condition of anonymity reported to us. They are being very clever here, guys. What they want. One, we just had massive news yesterday, as I just covered from Durham investigate from the Durham from Danchenko trial. And they are trying to blunt that news. They are trying to blunt it with this headline because they know their readers are just going to see the headline. They know that conservative incorporated and um, conservatives who are hoping that Durham is successful are going to see this headline and go, Oh no. Oh no. And they're using the word expired here to make you think that Durham had a, a grand jury impaneled and he just, let it sit on the shelf until it expired. Didn't do that much with it. He gave him some evidence, but nothing came of it. After all, we're the New York Times. If there was an indictment that came out of that grand jury, we would know. Grand juries last... Federal grand juries last anywhere between 18 and like 36 months or something. Federal grand juries last for a long period of time. And they can look at one case. They can look at a number of cases. Prosecu prosecutors can bring up evidence in cases however they want. It's only the prosecution that gets to. There's no defense. And the fact that this grand jury, its time expired, that it was impaneled for a certain amount of time. All of this means is that this grand jury was scheduled to be impaneled for a certain amount of time. And these people served in it. And that time has since passed. 
it does not mean that there were no indictments that came out of it. It's possible. It's possible that this, this grand jury did not return any indictments. But if it did return indictments, one or more, the New York Times would not be aware of it. But they want everybody to infer, because they use the word expire here in the language that they're using, they want everybody to infer that nothing came of it. So, like I just recently said, and like I continue to say, understanding is greater than reacting. If we understand this statement instead of react to it, what does it tell us? It tells us that if John Durham was able to get indictment and one or more indictments out of this grand jury, they are now sealed and could be unsealed any day now. The grand jury is finished. What you want to bet that John Durham did get some indictments out of this one or more indictments out of this grand jury. And he's got them right now and they're sealed and he's just holding on to them until the right time to unseal them. Also, I believe it's October. I believe October is when we're going to learn. I think that's when the next uh, update on funding. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure the next update on funding is in October where the DOJ uh, will post that Durham has been funded for another six months or whatever, another quarter or whatever it is. Durham's going to have a trial going on at that time. The fact that this grand jury just finished, I'm going to bet that he got one or more indictments out of that grand jury. And I'm going to bet that he's going to get funding from Garland's DOJ and all of then these same people at the New York times, they're going to be wrong again. Be wrong again. Remember guys, remember the, the news is still fake. The news is still fake. But the leaks are real. And the leak here is that the grand jury that Durham was using, they finished up. They finished up. Sweet. That means we might see something real soon. Okay. Got a couple clips for you. Yeah, these two right here. Make sure this is unmuted. Yes, it is. I think that let's take the Danchenko stuff first, and we can come back to the other uh, uh, subpoenas that uh, Steve Bannon mentioned. But this is really breaking news right now. It's only a few hours old. Durham went to unseal um, some findings, and and in that, uh, just to remind the audience. Danchenko was the super secret Russian source that when we were investigating this, everybody said, oh, these people are going to die. These are sources that are close to Putin. Putin could off of them at any minute. And it ends up 
uh, Seabass that he was like within a few blocks of here. Yeah, he was at the, the Brookings Institution, just a few blocks from our studio in D.C., very you know, susceptible to the Kremlin killing him. Yeah, all, all nonsense, right? So, but remember, that was what was leaked to the fake news. They pushed it out that we, the but Republicans, can, can were Can I give the timing? Because you pointed out how crucial the timing is. Yeah. This is from the, the, the Durham unsealed document. This is from Twitter. March 2017, the FBI signed up Danchenko as a paid confidential. Hmm. It froze on me. See if I can get to come back. It's probably my. It's my fault. I I was click. I was clicking to check the chats to see what y'all were saying, and the video froze on me. Come on. Well, let me refresh it. Okay, save that info. Hold up, I'm going to skip to one minute ahead. I think that let's take the Dan. Here we go. Uh, come on. All right, let me pause it for a minute. We'll see if we'll play. I have a point to make about what Devin Nunes said anyway, right there, and what uh, Gorka said. Um, okay. One thing that really stands out to me about he said is he was mentioning how Danchenko was here in the U.S. working at the Brookings Institution right down the street. Grr, that's so terrible. If only he was a paid informant who could, you know, inform the FBI on some of the dastardly people who work at the Brookings Institution and who were at the Brookings Institution from March 2017 to October 2020. Hmm. Hmm. If only we had a paid informant within the Brookings Institution from 2017 to 2020. Hmm. How do you think Fiona Hill is feeling this morning? Has anybody checked on Fiona Hill? <laughs> Good morning, Brogent. Over in, you're in Aruba. That's awesome, man. Hey, enjoy it. Enjoy it. Russ Outdoors, I see you in chat, man. Sorry to hear about your uh, your medical event yesterday, a seizure, I believe. I hope you're doing. I hope you're doing much better, dude. Yeah, Magnus Masslier, that's right. The Bro the same Brookings institution that got raided. Cully45 on Rumble. Good morning. And Karma Patriot, good morning. America First, good morning. It's great to see some of y'all in chat catching on to this. <laughs> it's really it's really great to see 
to see some of y'all catching catching on to this. I'm like, oh shoot, that's right. <laughs> All right, let's see if this video will continue playing because uh, Devin Nunes has some interesting things to say. If it doesn't play, it's okay. Till October 2020. Why wow. is that so significant, so, Devin? So this is really fascinating, and like I said, we're we're just discussing breaking news right now. So. What, what, what people have to remember, you have to go back in time to March 2017, the first year of the Trump administration. This is right around the time that myself, Chuck Grassley, Senator Chuck Grassley, and others, Trey Gowdy at the time, we all figured out that this was total nonsense. The there Steele was, dossier, the Russia dossier, collusion. Collusion, there was nothing. They had zero, zip. So why does this matter so much? It was, it's because the, this, if now that we know this was a confidential human source, this is the guy that through 2016 was working for Fusion GPS as essentially their phony Russian that, and that information was making it into the dossier. The FBI knows at that point we're onto them, right? This is McCabe, Strzok, all these guys that are now no longer there. Maybe some guys that are still in the building, but they quickly go out to sign this guy up to what? to protect him. It had to have been so, to protect so him. So this is a retroactive action because as soon as they make him a CI, oh, we can't talk about That's him, it. super, super secret, because they know that you're going to work out. He's not in Moscow. He's not working in the Kremlin. He's yeah. some you know, guy working for Hillary Clinton's hit, hit team of, of propagandists here in DC. Right, right. No, it's a, he's, a, he, he's a dim operative. I mean, for lack of a better term, yeah. he clearly knows what he's doing. He's working for Fusion GPS. He has to know what this is all about. And so the fact that, that, that the FBI would sign this guy up right at the time that we had discovered that this whole thing was phony, because remember, it was at that point that, that we learned that the dossier had been paid for by the Clinton campaign. That's when we learned it. Now, the whole world doesn't find out about it for another 10 or 11 months yeah. later when we came out with the memo that, that disclosed it. And remember, the deep state, these crooks, were putting pressure on the Congress, on me specifically, and my colleagues. We knew that. And I kept, remember, I, I kept having to say, look, I can't tell you what I know, but what I know is really bad. Yeah. Because, you know, they were looking for any reason they possibly could to shut our investigation down. And what an easier way to shut it down than to say, oh, they're leaking classified information. So the fact that they hired this guy at that time and brought him onto the payroll I mean, look. It, it's just to it, hide him. It, clearly, it was to obstruct our investigation. This guy would have zero relevant information. The FBI knew the whole damn dossier was a total frickin' fabrication and a lie. They knew. We knew it at the time. What did they do? They bring him on the inside. And remember, it's not the only one that we caught them later um, with these other cats like Halper. Remember that guy? Stephen Halper. Um, and it even appears like now a guy we never found was this guy named Jaffe was supposedly working for the cyber executive, the cyber guy. And that, then, and then don't yeah. forget. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. They're pushing the narrative. They're, they're pushing the narrative and, uh, they got to, they got to push the narrative um, that they do, and that's fine. For now. They'll let, they'll let Durham 
do the big reveals that blow everybody's mind. Like the one we just had, and there'll be more down the road. I do think that having Danchenko as a paid informant, it did give them some cover and some protection with this not being found out. Uh, the question is, who was he informing on? Mm-hmm. All right, we got something else. It's from John Solomon. For the Christopher Steele dossier, which was funded by the Hillary Clinton campaign, uh, is a person that the FBI believes starting in 2008 was tied to Russian intelligence. Why did they believe that? Because they had evidence he was soliciting Obama administration appointees, saying he would pay them if they would leak him classified information. He was working with the Russian intelligence agencies. He leaves the country. He comes back. They find out that he's the primary source for Christopher Steele. The FBI fires Christopher Steele because he was leaking to the media. They then hire this guy to be a confidential human source. They hire him after they detect in their first interview with him in many years, in January 17, that he lied to them, that he denied being tied to Russian intelligence. They had to say, listen, buddy, we know you're tied to Russian intelligence. He corrects himself then. They then go and put this man on the payroll for three years trying to dig up dirt on Donald Trump. It's an extraordinary thing. And now we know that while he was doing all that work for the FBI, getting paid by American tax dollars, he was lying to the FBI, not once, not twice, five times in the indictment. And John Durham says he's going to reveal many more lies that Igor Danchenko told the FBI during this time. Uh, the, the FBI's case against for Russia collusion couldn't be any more embarrassing than what we now know. Hey, hey John, um, and remember it was Andrew yep. McCabe that had said, no, if you don't have the dirty dossier, and again, he was the primary yeah. source, he told them in early 2017, that means two FISA warrants were signed after, and McCabe said without that right. dossier, there would be no FISA warrant granted. That's why the Justice Department withdrew two of those FISA warrants. There is no basis for them to stand under the law. And now we know most of the uh, confidential informant information the FBI was getting about Donald Trump was completely manufactured, including that famous P-tape. You know, the, old, the whole story about the Moscow uh, Hotel. John Durham reveals in tonight's filing, he's going to reveal that the Moscow and hotel employees who were allegedly quoted in the Steele dossier, they said they never told anyone. They didn't know anything about Donald Trump. Terrible things that went on there. It's not true. Every part of the Steele dossier and Igor Danchenko's lies are going to get exposed at next month's trial. Let's say, let's say Igor Danchenko was paid as a as an informant in order to keep him hidden, and it was done by bad actors within the FBI and they wanted to hide that and they wanted to push the steel dossier don't you think Durham knows who those bad actors within the FBI are don't you think Durham putting it in a filing is him telling them, hey guys, I know you paid 
Danchenko to be an informant, even after you knew he had been dishonest with you and that his lies within the Steele dossier, you knew about those lies, you knew it was all BS, and yet you took the Steele dossier and ran with it, and yet you retained Igor as an inf- a paid informant. Durham knows exactly who set that up. I think the people having the worst week right now are everybody within Danchenko's orbit from March 2017 to October 2020, including the FBI agents who were aware of all of this and retained him. Now, it is possible that the FBI agents who set this up and retained him are not the crooked ones. It is possible. I'm open to either possibility. And that is one reason why I don't, like, I don't I don't fall... Well, I don't know. I, I don't want to say fall. That's that's how I managed to try and keep a keep looking at the forest and not get too distracted by individual trees, is because I'm not so attached to either narrative. I, I'm trying. I can hold both possibilities in my mind. I can hold the possibility that hmm, okay, could have been some good FBI agents who retained him because they used him as an informant on this whole network who was trying to frame Trump. Or it could be that some bad FBI agents retained him in order to hide him as a source in the Steele dossier. I can I can hold either one of those things in my mind, and I can I can see how they could play out. What I trust, what I absolutely trust is one. Cash Patel said all roads lead to McCabe. And I believe him. This may be one of those roads. Two, I trust that John Durham not only knows all about Danchenko's status as a paid informant and all about people in his orbit and all about people within the Brookings Institution and everywhere else. I think he knows what they had for lunch and dinner. I think he knows where they bought their clothes. I think he knows what TV shows they watched every evening. Like, I think, I think he, I think he knows everything he needs to know. And. mm, This is, this is a great show. This, this is a, this is a great, Great show. And I'm really sad. I'm not sad. I shouldn't say that. I'm not sad. But I am a bit disappointed that more people have not realized that Durham is pointing right at the FBI. Someone even tried to link me an article today from Sundance going on and on about how, see, Durham is the... Durham is... The duct tape and Barr was the Bondo. 
Shut the F up, idiot. He's articulate. He's articulate. But golly, these black pills are stupid. Sorry, <laughs> now I'm now I'm getting a bit reactionary. Okay. Okay. Let's move on. Let's move on to the Mar-a-Lago raid because I found some. Let's see. We got how much time left? We got how much time left? Okay, we got forty-five minutes left. Okay, this is cool. I've got. Good morning, Dwayne Cates. Hope you're doing well, bud. Okay. In the Mar-a-Lago raid. We had some filings. And because we had some filings, we had some people with some really bad takes. <laughs> Isn't that how that goes? There's filings and uh, uh, people make bad have bad takes on it because they don't actually read the filing. Okay, so since we were last, we were last live... Let's see, we had, which one was it? Was it number 84 happened during the show? And I covered that. Yeah, this is the one that I covered during the show. Okay. Let's see, is this is... Okay, this is Trump's filing. Um, it's court is that right? This is a supplemental filing in support of their special ma or in support of the joint filing that they did uh, about special masters, and this is what it says: Trump has filed and said that he objects to the proposed nominees of the Justice Department. That would be Barbara S. Jones and uh, Griffith. Our isn't that guy's name Griffith? Yeah, Thomas B. Griffith, okay? Says, we object to those nominees. We believe there are specific reasons why those nominees are not preferred for service as special master in this case. As the court's order required a list of proposed special master candidates, but did not specify whether that is to include advocacy as to why certain nominees are or are not suitable to serve as special master, plaintiff has construed that order in a limited fashion, meaning that Donald Trump and his lawyers read it and said, we're not, we're just supposed to provide a list. We're not supposed to actually provide any advocation of why we want these people to be special master and why we wouldn't want others. Okay. We're just supposed to provide you with our picks. And that's how they wrote their, their part of the filing. Plaintiff also submits, it is more respectful to the candidates from either party to hold the basis for opposition from a public and likely widely circulated pleading. Therefore, plaintiff asked this court for permission to specifically express our objections to the government's nominees only at a time that the court specifies a desire to obtain and consider that information. Such information could then be provided in camera, which means in private, or pursuant to whatever procedure the court deems most efficient and appropriate. Consistent with that approach, plaintiff is willing to provide our specific rationale for supporting our nominees if and when the court so orders. So they're offering to say, they're, they're just letting the judge know, hey, we didn't tell you why we do or do not want certain picks, um, but we would like to, but we want to do it in private because um, we want to be respectful to the nominees and we want to avoid 
our our objections and our advocacy from being public because it's likely to be widely circulated because Just Human is on DLive, Rumble, Twitch, Telegram, and Foxhole three times a week. And he reads every filing that we make and tells his audience all about it every time we say anything. And he's totally onto us and realizes that Barbara S. Jones is the absolute best pick. And she knows all about Trump being an informant. And she knows all about the Trump org being an asset of the FBI. And she knows this is the greatest sting in the history of stings in the history of the world. And he's got an audience and it's not that big of an audience, but it's growing. And he keeps on telling them what our plan is. So judge, please. Can we talk about this in private? So just human doesn't report on it. That's what's going on here. <laughs> so the government came back DOJ and they responded to this and made a similar filing <laughs> and they wrote on September 9th the party submitted in this court filing their proposed list of master candidates a joint filing in that filing the government noted that it received the plaintiff's proposed candidate shortly after 6pm on September 9th the parties indicated that they would advise the court about their respective positions on the proposed candidates in accordance with that presentation in accordance with that representation the government hereby advises the court that because previous federal judicial experience and engagement in relevant areas of law are important qualifications for this position the government submits that the court should select one of the following three proposed candidates as special master. The Honorable Barbara S. Jones, the Honorable Thomas B. Griffith, or the Honorable Raymond J. Deary. Judge Jones, Griffith, and Deary each have substantial judicial experience during which they have presided over federal criminal and civil cases, including federal cases involving national security and privilege concerns. The government respectfully opposes the appointment of Paul Huck Jr., who does not appear to have similar experience. The government understands that each of the three candidates with prior judicial experience also currently employs staff who could assist in timely performing the duties assigned to the special master. In selecting among the three candidates, the government respectfully requests that the court consider and select the candidate best positioned to timely perform the special master's assigned responsibilities. And it notes down here that Judge Deary, even though he was characterized in the joint filing as uh, having retired, it is the government's understanding that Judge Deary currently remains on senior active status. In this court, if this court were to select Judge Deary as the special master, the government would defer to the court and Judge Deary to determine whether the special master role would constitute outside employment and what rules and or restrictions, if any, would apply to his serving in this capacity. So there's, there might be a bit of a complication with Judge Deary should he be selected because he's technically senior active status. He isn't fully retired. And two, this other footnote says prior to propose prior to proposing retired judge Jones and judge Griffith as special masters, the government inquired as to their availability. 
and they both inform the court that they were both available immediately and have access to necessary staff to perform perform the work consistent with the schedule that the government proposes. The government's uh, schedule was for this to be done by October 17th. On September 12th, 2022, the government made the same inquiry of Judge Deary. Judge Deary indicated that he also was available and could perform the work expeditiously. Okay. This filing is actually, Brian Cates pointed this out to me in a convo that Jay Bratt is actually listed on this filing. And so is the U.S. attorney down here. But Jay Bratt has been mentioned. He's the chief of the Counterintelligence and Export Control National Security Division. He's appeared in other filings, but I don't see his name all the time. So the fact that his name is on it, it's kind of significant. It's notable that um, he is in his name. He's a, a party to uh, this filing right here. Okay. A lot of bad headlines went around yesterday. A lot of bad takes. Um, several of them got sent to me, and they're they're basically headlines and uh, first paragraphs of articles saying. DOJ agrees with Trump's pick for special master. DOJ approves of one of Trump's picks. Trump and DOJ agree on one judge, and they're all talking about Deary. And anybody with decent reading comprehension who read these, it's only two pages that are the text. Anybody with decent reading comprehension skills who read these two pages, these three paragraphs, would have seeing that the court was not saying, okay, we agree with this one pick. Let's do that judge. The DOJ was saying of the four candidates on the table, one of them is not nearly as experienced with this type of work as the others. And since each side threw up two choices, well, one of them is one of Trump's choices and that's Deary. And just a lot of bad takes. It, they, they didn't agree on a special master. All the DOJ did was say, okay, of the options, these three have the experience to do this kind of work and the staff to do it. And they even started with, um, sh right here, the government submits that should the court the government submits that the court should select one of the three following proposed candidates. So that, I mean, that's all they're saying is, Hey, uh, just by the way, one of Trump's picks ain't going to work, but these three, one of these should be selected. So they did, I mean, they did, um, you know, give more credibility to Trump's pick or they did make Trump's pick more likely Deary. But like I said earlier in the show, if, these documents from the Mar-a-Lago raid have to do with anything related to Crossfire Hurricane, which I think they do, and many of y'all think they do. There's a conflict here with Deary because Raymond Deary approved the fourth FISA warrant on Carter Page as part of the Crossfire Hurricane, um, or as, as as part of Crossfire Hurricane. So that he can't. I mean, he can be chosen, but I think that's a big problem. And it's one of the reasons why I say Trump threw up, but threw up his picks, I think meaning for them to fail. Paul Huck Jr. can't be selected. He can't. One, based on the experience, 
But two, he can't be selected because his sister is on the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, which the DOJ has appealed the entire case to. And Trump's team knows that. Trump's team absolutely chose Paul Huck Jr. because they knew that he could not be picked, leaving only these three. Now, it's possible Deary gets selected. I don't think so. I 100% believe it's going to be Barbara S. Jones. The Honorable Thomas B. Griffith is currently on Biden's SCOTUS nomination commission or his SCOTUS advisory commission. So I think that one of the things that uh, Trump's team is going to bring up is that, look, Thomas B. Griffith has an ongoing relationship in which he's serving the current Biden administration. He's in service of the executive branch right now. So we don't think he should be chosen for this job because there's a conflict of interest there or a potential anyway. And the whole purpose of a special master is to take away any suspicion of a conflict of interest, any suspicion of um, poor etiquette or bad ethical behavior. Like that's the whole purpose of a special master is to have a third party who has no interest in either side and can be fair to all. So Thomas B. Griffith was not be a good pick. I think DOJ put him up because they knew he would be easily dismissed. So that leaves us with the Honorable Barbara S. Jones or the Honorable Raymond J. Deary. So Raymond J. Raymond J. Deary. Let's take a look at him, shall we? Let's take a look at who Deary is. Because if he is chosen, I think that will tell us that actually the documents they have he has to look at don't involve uh, Spygate or anything to do with Carter Page. So that could happen. That could happen. I don't think it will, but that could happen. But let's just take a look real quick at who this guy is. Born in 44, U.S. District Court, Eastern District of New York, nominated by Ronald Reagan in 1986, confirmed by the Senate in 86, served as chief judge 2007 to 2011, assumed senior status in April of 2011. Here's his professional career before he was a judge. He was in private practice in New York City from 69 to 71. He worked in the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Eastern District of New York as Chief Appeals Division 71 to 74 and Chief of the General Crime Section 74 to 76 and then Chief of the Criminal Division 76 to 77. And then he was Executive Assistant U.S. Attorney in 1977. And then he was in private practice from 77 to 80. He returned as Chief Assistant U.S. Attorney in the Eastern District of New York from 80 to 82. And then he worked as the U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of New York from 82 to 86. How much you want to bet that this guy knows all the players in the band? 
How much you want to bet that Judge Raymond J. Deary is aware of Trump and the Trump org being an asset? Because I'd, I'd bet dollars to donuts that he is. I bet this guy knows all about Trump organization and uh, Trump helping Rudy to take down the five families and other criminal syndicates in the 70s and 80s in New York and the New York area. Now, additionally, um, Supreme Court Justice John Roberts appointed Deary to a seven-year term to the FISA court in uh, 2011. And he was succeeded by Pamela Chin in March of 2013. He continues to maintain a full docket. Deary was one of two candidates proposed by Donald Trump as a special master. See, this one says he still has a full docket. So this guy's still working. Yeah, I think this I think this guy is still working and won't be chosen, but it's possible. Well, it says right here in Wikipedia that he has a full docket, but the citation is missing. So maybe he doesn't. I don't that's kind of weird. Yeah, whatever. Wikipedia does weird things sometimes. So I think, you know, EDNY, you know who else is at EDNY right now? John J. Durham. That's where John J. Durham is. John H. Durham's, one of John H. Durham's sons, who is a prosecutor. Um, anyway, if Deary is picked, I'm not going to be like, oh no, it's Deary, that's terrible. But I, I gotta admit, I would be, um, I would be a bit disappointed because I've invested so much in Barbara S. Jones. <laughs> but I still think it's gonna be Barbara S. Jones. But I'm just tossing it out there, guys, that if it is Deary, if Judge Cannon picks Deary, um, all is not lost. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Um. I think that I, I do think this. If Deary is picked, I would expect Conservative Incorporated and the uh, um, the Twitter sleuths, the the Spygate sleuths, to be all mad about it because they're mad that Trump put him forth anyway. Because they look at it, they look at the fact that he approved the fourth warrant on uh, Carter Page and think he must be a crooked judge, and they completely dismiss they completely like ignore the fact that he was likely lied to about carter page and the evidence and everything else that was presented to him in approving that fisa warrant was all arranged in a way and certain things were obfuscated and left out in order to get that fisa warrant so it's not it's not the judge that needs to be blamed for that it's it's the people who put that information before the judge and got him to approve that warrant without telling him all the information he needed to know, right? So, anyway, 
I do think it's, I still think it's going to be Barbara S. Jones, but a lot of bad, a lot of bad takes on this filing were going around yesterday. All right. We have the next one. That's the notice. All right. This, I want to just point this out in case anybody else is digging into this docket. Uh, Raj K. Patel is a total attention seeker type guy. He is not related to Cash Patel at all. He is just some, I'll be polite. He's just some bozo who is making filings in this case and is probably going to get shut down by Judge Cannon any day now. And his filings are BS. So any of the stuff you see that's Raj K. Patel, all he's trying to do is get attention with these filings. Just, just ignore him. Okay. Uh, that stuff, this, this, this kind of thing happens in court cases where they, they have a lot of eyeballs on them. People will pay money to make filings in them and they'll use it as a way to get attention for their, whatever, whatever it is they had going on personally. All right. This is memorandum in support of staying appeal. Is this the one? This is docket 125. Wait a minute. Why do I have this other one open? Oh, yeah. This is from the search warrant case. Okay. 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 And so it's... Okay. I remember why I have those open. All right. Sorry. There for a moment. I'm... I'm, I'm looking at six cases right now. I've been studying six different court cases and trying to get a grasp of them. And I'm looking for several more that haven't been revealed yet. Like the ones related to search warrants that went out around Trump allies. We'll find out if they actually are allies. Um, all right. Now this is document 88 document. 88. Okay. This is the right one. Okay. This is not United. This is the government's supply reply in support of its motion to stay pending appeal. Uh, you may remember that they want to look at these records. They want to keep going with their work on their investigation. This is a relatively short filing, so let's check it out real quick. Let me check the time. Eleven oh eight. Okay. The United States motion for a stay pending its appeal, docket entry six nine sixty four, seeks limited but critical relief. The government seeks to stay only as to a discrete set of just over 100 records marked as classified. That is, records that were specifically sought by a prior grand jury subpoena whose unauthorized retention may constitute a crime under 18 U.S.C. 793, and with markings signifying that their unauthorized disclosure, quote, reasonably could be expected to result in damage to national security including exceptionally grave damage. The government's motion, stay motion demonstrates that the government is likely to succeed on the merits because plaintiff cannot plausibly establish any property interest in or cl privilege claim as to the seized records marked as classified, that the government and the public are irreparably harmed while the court's order as to the, those records remains in effect, and that a partial stay would impose no cognizable harm on the plaintiff.
Instead, plaintiff principally seeks to raise questions about the classification status of the records and their categorization under the PRA. But plaintiff does not actually assert, much less provide any evidence, that any of the seized records bearing classification markings have been declassified. More importantly, the issues the issues plaintiff attempts to raise are ultimately irrelevant. Even if plaintiff had declassified these records, and even if somehow categorized them as his personal records for purposes of PRA, neither of which has been shown, nothing in the PRA or any other source of law establishes a plausible claim of privilege or any other justification for an injunction restricting the government's review and use of the records at the center of an ongoing criminal and national security investigation. That makes sense to me. I gotta say, that makes a lot of sense to me. Now, it's supposed to. They're, they're filing on their own behalf, making their argument, but sound, sounds good. It's not, these aren't, there's no allegation or uh, assertion by Trump that these records are his personal private property. Um, not these specific ones that are marked classified. There are for other things, but not these. And the government wants them because of an ongoing investigation they have. Uh, let me see if I need to read any of this other stuff. Contrary makes clear the United States complete ownership. The United States has complete ownership, possession, and control of presidential records. And so if these are presidential records, then that's who they belong with. There's no claim of privilege here because it's not like these are attorney-client documents. So the special master doesn't need to review these. And changes have a whole impossibility. Legal arguments, legal arguments. In any event, if the plaintiff had declassified any of the approximately 100 seized records bearing classification markings while he was still in office, the government's demonstrated and specific need for those records would easily overcome any assertion, any asserted claim of privilege, like executive privilege. Um, this does get confusing sometimes because there's attorney-client privilege, there's work product privilege, and then there's executive privilege here. And that's where a lot of things get confused in these filings is there's three types of privilege that are possibly at play on any of these documents. And so as they're discussing sets of these documents, they're having to say, okay, is there attorney-client privilege here? Okay, no. Is there work product? Okay, no. Is there executive privilege? Oh, uh, there might be. Mr. Biden, are you asserting executive privilege on these? Um, and then Biden's like, no, nah, I'll let NARA decide whether... It's there's a executive privilege here, and Nara's like, mm, no, we don't think so. We think there's this is falls under the PRA. So there's all these entities involved in deciding these types of privilege, and all of this back and forth is important, but it does get confusing. And I think it's all important to hash out. Even though it does get confused, I think it's pretty important, not for me to get into the details of, but it's important for this battle to happen with these documents. Okay, for obvious reasons, the intelligence community would have a compelling need to understand which formerly classified records have now been declassified, why and how they were declassified, and the impact of any such declassification. 
including on the IC's protection of its sources and methods and on classification status of related records or information. The DOJ and FBI would also have a compelling need to review any purportedly declassified records as part of the government's investigation into the adequacy of the response to the May 22nd grand jury subpoena. Plaintiffs suggest that he may have categorized certain of the seized materials as personal records during his presidency. During his presidency. If true, it would only supply another reason that he cannot exert assert executive privilege with regard to those records. If plaintiff truly means to suggest that while president, he chose to categorize records with markings such as secret and top secret as his personal records for purposes of the PRA, then he cannot assert that the very same records are protective, protected by executive privilege. Okay. These lines right here give us a really good idea of why this is important. Because what happens, guys, when Bush or Obama or Biden or Clinton, what happens when there are raids to acquire records from them or to use some of their records and in investigations and they want to come out and they want to say, no, I have executive privilege over that. No, that's attorney client privilege. No, that's work product privilege. No, those are my personal records from my presidency. It's my belief that this battle that's happening now is sorting out all of those chess moves that could possibly be made in a court of law in the future when DOJ gets to those people and gets higher up the chain of the swamp. Because that's exactly what we'll see. We'll see bad actors trying to claim attorney-client privilege and executive privilege and private records and all that stuff. And I think that this battle that's happening in this case is sorting all of that lawfare out now and establishing precedent now so that when we get to that point, these moves are not available to those people. It's already been dealt with. Remember that that's how these, these are the mechanisms in law that, that the swamp has used to conceal their crimes for decades, attorney, client privilege, executive privilege, private, um, um, personal records. That's how they've been that's how they've been able to conceal and get away with so much is they've hidden behind their lawyers. And that's why I mean that's the best thing that came out of the Sussman case is Durham successfully broke down that attorney client privilege. And he's going to break break it down some more in other areas, but now he has a precedent a precedent for how he's done it before. He's demonstrated that he can do it and he's demonstrated how to do it. Okay. More generally, the plaintiff's response disregards this court's acknowledgement of its limited power in this domain involving the exercise of equitable jurisdiction in connection with an ongoing criminal investigation. 
The court ordered the appointment of a special master solely to manage assertions of privilege and make recommendations thereon and evaluate claims for return of property. The court did not and could not appoint a special master to exercise roving supervisory authority over the government's ongoing criminal investigation or to adjudicate matters ultimately irrelevant to plaintiff's potential privilege claims, such as whether plaintiff might have declassified seized documents, the bare classification markings, or whether plaintiff might have designated those documents as his personal records for the purposes of the PRA. The special master won't have anything to do with those things. The special master is there to decide uh, work product and attorney-client privilege and to see if some of the stuff that the government sees needs to be returned to President Trump. I think they may win this. I think they may win this. Furthermore, even if the IC, which includes the FBI, were permitted to resume its classification review and national security assessment in some limited manner, plaintiff fails to address DOJ and FBI's inability under the court's injunction to use the seized records to investigate whether or to what extent the seized records were accessed by unauthorized individuals, plural, or whether other classified records remain missing. Right. Boom. Boom. I've been saying this whole time, Trump is not the target here. This is individ this is plural. To use the seized records to investigate whether or not and to what extent the seized records were accessed by unauthorized individuals or whether other classified records remain missing. Those are criminal investigative functions and the government is irreparably harmed while it is enjoined from using the seized records bearing classification markings for those purposes. All right, now check this out. For that and other reasons, the delay of the government's criminal investigation constitutes its own irreparable harm. The government and the public unquestionably have an interest in the timely enforcement of criminal laws particularly those involving the protection of highly sensitive information, and especially where, as here, there may have been efforts to obstruct its investigation. The government's ability to perform other investigative tasks that do not require its review or use of the records marked as classified does not refute this reputable harm. These records are at the core of the government's investigation, and the government's inability to review and use them significantly constrains its investigation. The compelled disclosure of records marked as classified to a special master further harms the executive branch interest in limiting access to such materials absent any valid purpose served by their review. They really want these records and they really want to use them in an investigation. And I can't help but think this is related to Durham. I really, I really think I really think that they've some of these records are related to Durham's work and they need to go over them and make sure they're declassified so that they can be used in filings. My first thought at the beginning of the raid was this was all about January 6th, but that seems to not be correct. That doesn't seem to be matching up. Instead, it's more than that. And the crimes listed, the violations listed in this as the justification that the raid is predicated on 
really remind me of all the crimes that we know Hillary Clinton took part in. Now, I'm going to show you something else that has my has. I don't think I can. I can't display that like I want to. Okay, yeah, I can't display this like I want to. A bonus hour is looking more and more likely. A bonus hour is looking more and more likely. Okay, I want to show you something about these other cases. So this one right here is the Mar-a-Lago search warrant. The one we all are familiar with. This one is the telephone records request that was signed right after the other one. This is the sealed pen register request that was signed right after the other one. This is the other search warrant that was signed that same morning. In this one, I showed y'all that we had the filing that proved that this one is also in regards to Mar-a-Lago. All right. The parties on this one have been revealed to be Assistant U.S. Attorney Susan Osborne. The parties in this one is a USA attorney, and it's sealed. The party in this one is a USA attorney, and it's sealed. The parties in this one are U.S. attorneys. And there's lots of attorneys in this one because everybody's jumped into this one and filed, but the plaintiff right here is Juan Gonzalez, uh, U.S. attorney. Okay. Now, there's been more filings in this since I was last on. And here, let me change the order. I like to have the newest stuff up top. So, <clears throat> there's been a lot of activity happening in this one while everybody is focused on the Trump v. USA case where they're arguing for the special master that judge Cannon has while everybody's been focused on that. There's been a lot of filings in this case and I'm pretty confused by some of them. And the number one, the one that I'm really confused about is this one. The U S department of treasury has intervened in this case. Again, this is the search warrant case for Mar-a-Lago. So let me show you this. The U.S. Department of Treasury through U.S. Department of Justice and the U.S. Marshals Service have arrested, seized federal securities containing sensitive documents, which are subject to the defendant sealed search warrant by the FBI arrest. See attached USM 18528 warrant National Security Act 50 USC 3162. Pursuant to Rule 24A12, the Department of Treasury must intervene to protect the interest. 
Okay, let's look up what these things are. There's an arrest warrant under National Security Act, U.S. What is National Security Act? 50. Let's look this up. Is that right? 3162? 3162. This is called U.S. Code War and National Defense. Any authorized investigative agency may request from any financial agency, financial institution, or holding company, or any consumer reporting agency such financial records or financial information and consumer reports as may be necessary in order to conduct any authorized law enforcement investigation, counterintelligence in inquiry, or security determination. Any authorized investigative agency may also request re records maintained by any commercial entity within the United States pertaining to travel by an employee to the exec in the executive branch of the government outside of the United States. Okay. And then it, there's a lot here, but that's the gist of it. Okay. Now what's this other one? Rule 24A12. Federal Rules and Procedures. Twenty-four A one two intervention of right on timely motion. The court must permit anyone to intervene who one is given an unconditional right to intervene by a federal statute. Well, we just read the statute that gives them that right, and two claims an interest relating to the property or transaction that is the subject of the action and is so situated that disposing of the action may, as a practical matter, impair or impede the movement's ability to protect its interest unless existing parties adequately represent that interest. Okay. Okay. So the Department of Treasury has intervened in the Mar-a-Lago search warrant case. What is the other filing that they gave us? This attachment. This one. U.S. Department of Treasury seized federal securities. It's a warrant. We get a different case number here. I need to look that up, actually. It was served at CNN. It says, CNN Center, Atlanta, Georgia. Please maintain leaked tax records, seized federal securities in your custody until further notice. And then if you look down here, it fills out some other items and information, but it says that this happened last July in 2021. And it gives this address, 289 Culver Street, Lawrenceville, Georgia. And this part from the clerk's office is dated August 16th, 2021. And legal department, CT Corp. And then down here, there's another one, receipt and return, U.S. Department of Treasury, U.S. Securities, Martin Towing Incorporated. 
and they spoke to a Ashley Poor or Ashley Pool, Ashley Poor office manager at this towing company. And it's in handwritten remarks, it says, served without incident to Ashley Poor, office manager of Martin's Towing Incorporated on 723-2021 at 0943. Why are they serving this warrant? at a towing company last year, last summer in Georgia. And what is this about leaked tax records at CNN also last summer? And why is it attached to a filing in this court, this Mar-a-Lago raid case saying that us treasury must intervene and seize these records? This is bizarre. Are and the only thing I don't have an answer, guys. I'm putting this out there. We in my chat, some of the guys in my chat went and looked up to make sure that Martin's towing was correct, and it is. It's a towing service. It's a towing service. Um, and then this one has to do with CNN. I'm going to look up this case number right here real quick, see if I get a hit. And Zias just typed in chat, the best guess that we've come up with is that these records were left inside a car that was towed as a clever way to get them handed over to somebody. And this was discovered and they found it. Um... Or maybe the towing company found it. Maybe the towing company saw these records as they were going through the car. That was, I don't know. It's really weird. Let me see what is it? This is TAC CAP. So let me search this real quick. I know that my show, I have to leave soon. I have to end the show pretty soon. But let me see if I get a hit on this case. There it is. United States Department of Treasury seized federal securities. Date filed February 17th, 2021. Okay, what is this? Here's the complaint. And why is it in... Why is it in the Mar-a-Lago... Why has it been intervened into the Mar-a-Lago case? Okay. Complaint for forfeiture in REM... United States Treasury, plaintiff herein, and by through federal trustee Dwayne L. Berry, pursuant to the Department of Treasury, U.S. Code 26, U.S.C. 6903, United States Attorney General, pursuant to 28, U.S.C. 516, in a civil case. This is a civil action in REM, pursuant or REMS, pursuant to 18 U.S.C. 981. Procedures for this action are mandated by Rule G of the Supplemental Rules of Admiralty and Maritime Claims and Asset Forfeiture Action. This action seeks the forfeiture of all right, title, and interest in the above captioned property because the property constitutes or is derived from wire fraud in violation of U.S. 18 U.S.C. 1343, a major fraud against the United States in violation of 18 U.S.C. 1031 in financial monetary transaction and tax instruments and money laundering conspiracy in violation of 18 U.S.C. 1957 and 1956-H. As set forth fully below, the conspirators identified herein 
through fraud and false pretenses, obtained the property and or engaged in numerous transactions concerning fraud relating to tax instruments, monetary transactions, and money laundering. This court has jurisdiction over this action. This court has venue. The defendant is all present. The seized federal securities pursuant to the National Security Act. Federal trustee Dwayne L. Berry and whistleblower began then against... Okay. Federal trustee Dwayne L. Berry and whistleblower against then-President Donald J. Trump moved the Second Circuit Court of Appeals in an emergency motion to intervene in the president's tax fraud investigation case, which involved the United States House of Representatives as interveners and several media outlets. Pending the action, millions of unredacted, classified tax records and other sensitive financial data, bank records and accounting of banking and tax transactions of several million Americans Federal government agencies, including but not limited to the United States Department of Defense, United States Department of State, and the plaintiff, United States Department of Treasury, were unlawfully obtained by the media outlets. President Trump, who is now facing criminal impeachment hearings in the Senate, remember this from February, and several other conspirators, after repeated attempts to informally retrieve the seized federal securities from conspirators by the federal trustee, the plaintiff, by and through his federal trustee and its powers, appointed to him by Congress, the National Securities Act and other means to retrieve the seized federal securities. The leak of the federal securities has been a direct breach of national security of the United States, in which several trillion dollars of monetary transactions are potentially being exposed and compromised by conspirators and other foreign entities, including the dark web and Russian operatives. Hmm. So that's what this is about. It is about Trump's tax returns and tax information and it is about okay so they seized this okay okay cnn was served usa today washington post new york times wall street whereas pursuing this important okay I think what's going on here is that there was information. There's information about this that was seized at Mar-a-Lago. There's information about this that was seized at Mar-a-Lago as part of that search warrant. And the U.S. Treasury jumped in to seize that evidence. That's what's going, I think that's what's going on. They were trying to, they, they were trying to get this stuff into the public and okay, okay. That, it's starting to make more sense to me. Where, where'd it go? Crap. I just lost the case. Here it is. What was the resolution of this? Cease and desist order on Dwayne L. Berry. November 5th is the last one we have access to. 
plaintiff is entitled to an order in this district, all authorized persons and the U.S. Marshals in this district to return defendant seized federal securities. There's Martin towing right there. Okay, there's this is that same document we just showed. There's the Martin towing document. Here's the CNN document. Okay. Yeah, that's what this is, is that there's there was stuff at Mar-a-Lago related to this with C's in the Mar-a-Lago Mar raid and Department of Treasury stepped in to grab it. Very interesting. Yeah, I do have to go, guys. I have to, I have to go pick up my kid. All right, this is what I got to do. I have more stuff left over to cover on this episode, so I'm going to have to record. What I will do is I will record a bonus hour. Um, I'll record a bonus hour, and I will upload it to my Substack, justhuman.substack.com. It's free, justhuman.substack.com. You can sign up for free, but if you want to support the show, that is the best way is to do a paid subscription at justhuman.substack.com. Um, thank you all for being here. This has been just human number 135 and I'll make some good, I'll make some clips from today and share them on my rumble clips channel for any of you that want to that want to share those out. Um, we found some good stuff today. We found some good stuff today. Lots of reasons to be positive. Of course. Of course, lots of reasons to be positive. We all know, we all know nothing can stop what is coming. We're not going to win every battle, but we're going to win this war. I got to run. Exit music happening now. Y'all have a blessed day. <laughs>